talks, money listens, money sings. Money gives me a hug when I'm sad and I'm cold. It does, doesn't it? Um, well, welcome to Good Money, everybody. This is the show where you get to learn how to be poor and pocket and rich and friends. That's right. And today we're telling you, we're just going through all the things that you've ever heard about money. Yeah. The nice For instance, aphorisms. Give alms or go to hell. Yeah, like the one that um, that uh, Bishop Schupitz always says. <laughs> Bishop who? Yeah, Schupitz. He, he always says that. Give alms. Or go to hell. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Lots of... You know what his, his actually, his predecessor did say? What? He, he once gave uh, a talk to kind of the major benefactors of, of Chicago. And he said, the poor need you so as to eat. Yeah. And you need the poor so as not to go to hell. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. it's a relationship. It's all about the relationship. Yeah, you need one another. <laughs> You're hearing it together. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Unlike what most people say about money, um, we collected a couple phrases because we realized that for all the highfalutin talk of new polity, in fact, the way most people are educated about money is just by hearing things. Raw aphorisms, bro. I know. It's, it's sad, but it's true. We don't actually <laughs> think a lot about money. Money... Uh, intentionally creates thoughtless, thoughtlessness in the person. Uh, and one of the ways it does this is through these little aphorisms. So we're just going to go for it. I, for you. a long time, have thought the one that goes, money talks, <laughs> is a good one. Yeah. You know, it speaks many languages <laughs> as far as I can see. It can see. It's possessed by a demon, so <laughs> it can talk. Like the idols of old. <laughs> but what does it mean? Money talks. When people say it, um, they are actually, it's a slur on, on human promise and human speech and vows and oaths, right? That's right. Um, so in ye old days, uh, the oath meant something. Yeah. When right? we would sit here at this table, we would take our left hands, we'd take a knife in our right hands, and we'd slice, you know, together. Forming a blood pact. That's right. And the, the, you know, the phrase used to be blood talks. Blood talks. <laughs> and, then, and then we created money and it just all changed. Yeah. yeah that's well, that, that's nice though, because money is like the blood circulating through the commonwealth. So it's really still a blood oath. That's what Hobbes says. Yeah. 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 So it, there's a value given to human speech whereby we put our honor on the line, mm -hmm. where honor is considered an actual attribute of the human person that you can lose or gain. Um and within a, a mercantile economy, you replace honor with money. So what I mean is the thing that you can lose in society, the thing that you can gain in society, becomes an actual numerative quality mm -hmm. as opposed to a um, an assessment of the actual standing of the person in the eyes of others, which we call honor or the lack of it, shame. Yep. So money in some ways becomes a way of calculating um, the presence of honor or shame, but ultimately in a mercantile economy where it becomes the chief value, it replaces, I think, honor and shame. And so instead of putting your honor on the line, which is what you do when you make a promise, you put your money on the line. The money now talks. The money makes its promise, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is why when you get married, you have a little prenuptial agreement where you put the money down. 
you, my words are, are only so much, but this is how much I love you. Money talks. <laughs> Money talks. Yeah, that's a good one. Good first yeah, one. But don't you think yeah. it's wild, the honor and shame thing? Um, it's like, it's like it, it makes it calculable and thus controllable. But then it, it becomes weirdly inverted where it's not that we lose a sense of honor and shame. It's that we, we then, like what, how do I say it? What it's supposed to do, what the kind of money economy is supposed to do is rationalize our honor and shame because it provides like, look, this man has money. He's willing to put up money. It means he's a worker in society. It means he's contributing to society. It shows that he is really worth valuing in other people's eyes. And this replaces older esoteric ideas of honor, which maybe he got honor just because he was born Mm-hmm. You know, to a certain family, maybe it's not really deserved, whereas money is supposed to be like scientific and rational or whatever. Right. Obviously, the opposite is the case. Like people that have money can be scumbags, and often it seems to be our scumbags. Um, <laughs> but what what it does is it makes us ashamed of people for not having money, which is really extremely strange. Hmm. Um, I, I think about this a lot whenever I see people uh, who don't have cars, um, which not having a car is basically not having money. It's just a step away from it. And when they walk on the sides of roads to get where they want to go, it's not just that, oh, they don't have a car, poor them. There's a certain sense like, oh, these people might be like criminal or like they have something wrong with them. Yeah. You, you, they, why didn't you pull this off? Why don't you have yeah, a car? Like yeah. Why Why are why you, you have... on your feet in this space that's for cars? You're, you're kind of a transgressor. Mm-hmm. And so you immediately see people who don't have money as being transgressive of a certain law. And so you have, so then they lack honor, they're shameful. And that I think is the, is the deepest uh, wound we really inflict on the poor. It's not so much just the fact that we don't give. I mean, that's horrible. Um, but we, we don't give and then we simultaneously become, um, we, we cast into disrepute people that don't have. Mm-hmm. So it's this like, yeah, not only do we not relieve the other person, but we make them ashamed for not being relieved by us. Which then in turn creates them or like situates them into being kind of the, the greedy, clamoring person that we kind of consider them to be. Oh, because oh, like, well. they need money to, to yeah, get out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and they, they don't realize their plight until they're in it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, kind of that, that whole mentality that the popes talk about how it's not no better to be involuntarily poor. Yeah. You have to be voluntarily poor because if you're involuntarily poor, you still have that same greedy spirit. You're just pretty bad at yeah. realizing it. As Steinbeck you know? said, America is composed of temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Yeah. That, <laughs> that is a great one. Yeah. But I, I think that this is a good point is yeah. that actually the form of, once we start to believe that, once we start to have oaths, money replaces oaths, then it starts to create more people in that image and likeness throughout society. Totally. And I think the, the alternative to it is to say, money doesn't talk. You talk. And your word matters. Mm-hmm. And one place where I see that, that this can happen mm-hmm. is when Christians make contracts with each other that are unnecessary. Now, I'm not saying all contracts are unnecessary. The popes often praise a contract as, well, in the context of avoiding usury, because they say, you know, if we could just work out a really good contract beforehand, then you won't get tricked into doing something you serious. Right. So they have a place for contracts. Totally. But there's another spot for contracts where we're doing this money talks phrase, right? We're saying like, yeah, we're friends, we're Christians, we want to do something together, but sign so I can sue you. 
if anything goes wrong. Hey, you know what? I just <laughs> let's just make sure that everything's clear and on the table. It's clean, baby. We just want it to you be know, above board. A, <laughs> it's not about the money. <laughs> That's another one. It's not about the money. It's about um keeping each other accountable. Yeah. So we say these things because in fact, maybe we got screwed over in the past, maybe we're scared, maybe we're timid. All valid um fears. But what we're doing is we're saying, well, where is the security that I need, yep. that I lost? Mm-hmm. Where is that thing that I'm not sure friendship can provide? Yep. I'm going to put it in a contract. We're going to make a vow at which ultimately money is on the line yeah. uh, when you make that contract because you become a suable, a suable entity. Now, one of the ways to correct this, I think, is just to look for places in your life where you can avoid making those kinds of contracts, right? Like if you have someone that you trust in friendship and you want to work for them, and they say they'll do X for you in exchange for your work, then agree to it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's looked on as worldly foolishness, and it is in the sense that you do, in fact, risk being screwed over, right? Mm-hmm. But we need to develop a society in which our word becomes the thing that's broken, um, in which the vow becomes the thing that's broken, and not money, right? Like... And it seems to me like that, like being personally disappointed in each other and failing personally to keep our word is a far more meaningful social order than breaking contracts and then being fiscally liable. Liable for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because all that that actually does, the money talks, contractual relationship, is that it further habituates you into depending upon money or rather... Uh, banking on self-interest yeah, is right. the thing that's really going to get you through and the other person through. Yeah, it's like he'll definitely keep his word because he doesn't want to get he doesn't want to get screwed over. Yeah, by you know getting sued or something. Yep, yeah. exactly. And instead, we just have to have different loves, deeper ones. And yeah, and if there's a if there's a guy that you think, okay, the only way I'm going to get him to do what I want here is because he signs on the dotted line, then you probably shouldn't be working with him. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like maybe you have to, in which case I get the necessity of contracts and well, such. Well, I'm not sure that's but... true because you're also not supposed to do business with friends. Oh, that's another one. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see, take him head on. Right, money talks. talks. Money talks. It. All right. What was, it, what was the other one that we said? In well, all that? Yeah. You no, kept there on was, mentioning some. Yeah, I was, that was too quick. Uh, did you write this down? We're oh, boring. You don't know. There's, of course, oh. the phrase money, 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 where you just repeat it. <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? That means um, that I'm an uneducated slob. <laughs> <laughs> but I sell a lot of contra- or a lot of albums. Um, money makes the world go round is actually the same thing as money talks. You're right. You think? I think right. it pretty much means the same thing, although yeah. it has a nice global vantage, right? You take up the the, the stylite position. No, no, the, the, you're on your ivory tower, sorry. <laughs> I got ivory towers and stylites mixed up. Uh, and you That's survey funny. the world of political economy and you say, okay, ultimately, what's making everything tick? Well, it's money, you know? This is the... the the pencil thing, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right we got to find Milton Friedman's. Milton Friedman's pencil. No one knows how to make this pencil, but yeah. but because we're all willing to move and work for money, then then uh, we get pencils. <laughs> Just phenomenal. It was. It's so worth it. We should we should put that up at some point. Everyone yeah. should watch that. Yeah. Actually, there's a band called Wolfpack, 
and they have a song that they wrote and then like mixed in Milton Friedman's no pencil way. analogy, and it's very funky, very groovy. Yeah, wow, we should we yeah. should link that for sure. That should just be the start. Link music it in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the global aspect of this is is really interesting. I was talking to a you know really good dude, kind of a mover and shaker and Catholic philanthropy and um, and uh, like publishing and such, and he. Um, you know, he, he's really like considering Bitcoin big time. And it's primarily because he's just oriented towards the global economy. Sure. Like just, of course we should have a global economy. Of course we need to, you know, ensure that we're connected with those in Zimbabwe, you know, within our market economy. Yeah. It just wasn't even a consideration. And yeah. of course we should continually expand and continually grow. Mm -hmm. Now this guy was also like, super honest and just a really good dude so as soon as i pointed out that working assumption of his he's like oh well, yeah I, I do need to take that back to the tradition like yeah. is that a real value of christianity yeah. yeah and it's so funny how christ's you know last words are like go to the ends of the earth mm -hmm. and yet we've yet kind of the day the day of a christian is just right next door yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, that is like our main, our main mission. Well, yeah, field. well, money creates yeah. a false universal um, sense, like a, fa a false way of relating to the whole, um, where we think that, I mean, and and like the British uh, sort of capitalist imperialist folks were very explicit about this. So I was reading yeah. uh, Andrew Urey's Philosophy of Manufacture. He's sort of justifying the factory system. And again, he, in the, he was 18th century. Yeah, like. 40 years before uh, Karl Marx's Das Kapital. So like oh, oh, okay. 18, so 19, yeah. 1819 or something. Okay, cool. Quite early, like, yeah. you know. Uh, and he's looking at these factory systems and the movement from from uh, subsistence living to wage slavery, and he's he loves it. He's for it, he, of course. <laughs> uh, but one of the things he keeps saying is that, you know, this is going to enrich, this, this manufacture is going to enrich the British Empire and enable it to spread religion and science to, uh, he calls it the valley of the shadow of death. And so, you know, in typical British style where you just sort of like use the scriptures to justify imperialism, he did that. And, uh, <laughs> and he said that, I mean, he basically said that industry is a, um, is fulfilling that apostolic call to go out and preach the gospel to mm -hmm. all nations. It's just providing the, uh, providing the material means for it, as it were. And I think we still have that idea latent in our heads that we need to have this like global um, economy in which we're all connected. And then the idea is subsequently we will sanctify that with the church. Mm -hmm. It's really no different than the idea that, you know, you send out the conquistadors to do violence and then you send out the, the you know, preachers after them to sort of do damage control and sort of bring the church in some way. Um, that might be a bad example given the kinds of things that conquistadors were up against. But do you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> yeah, there's a kind of a, a sense that I think that's absolutely the right. apostolic call is somehow ineffective in itself to go out to all the nations. It needs an economic reality to really bind people together through coercion, desire for money, desire for gain, profit. Yep. That goes out and, and grabs all the nations' attention. And then within that you say, Hey, you know, the same guys that brought you all these machines and wrecked your peasant economies, they love Jesus. 
you should love Jesus too, <laughs> which is essentially, you know. No, it makes no sense when you really think about it. But I do think that kind of latent assumption is there, is that we need to have some sort of relationship first. It's just atheism. I and mean, we just don't actually yeah. believe in God. Mm-hmm. And because we don't believe in God, we don't believe that apostles going to all nations in itself is effective. So we want a material effectiveness yeah. to then plug God on top as like our ideological yeah. gloss, which mm-hmm. is what it became, I think, within the imperialist age. And it's interesting because, you know, we've talked about this prior that with um, with missionaries, I mean, they did in some occasions bring real stability, economic stability uh, to a place. Totally. But that was precisely to be able to set the occasion for the faith to flourish Apart from the yeah. global economy, Paul VI says. Yeah, totally. Like they went against the intentions of, of the globalists. Yeah. I mean, it's almost as if they were seeking first the kingdom of God and then presuming that such things like stable economic conditions would be added unto them. But where the hell did they get that <laughs> idea? Yeah. Well, one other thing before we move on, the yeah. money makes the world go round, is that I think when we imbibe this philosophy, this working philosophy, we get very frustrated when money, in fact, does not make the world go round. And I think this is this is equally a, a phenomenon within our society, is that there are, there, are, there are things that are moved by money, yeah, and then there's things that aren't moved by money. And whenever a person who thinks the world is moved by money runs into something that's not moved by money, by money, he gets incredibly uh, sad and frustrated. So, so you think about like, like people loving you, for instance, is not something money does, or like marrying you is rarely something money does, or like children respecting you. Again, money doesn't do it. It makes the whole world go around, but not, but not quite. Yeah, And then I think those moments where what's required is virtue, so clearly, it's always virtue. Virtue is always what's required of us, but where it becomes really clear that we were supposed to put virtue there, we tried to put money, and we're not getting the results. Mm -hmm. I think that's what leads to really devastating human alienation and loneliness, like the, the idea that it was all about the money, and so why don't why aren't my kids visiting, for instance? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, um, money moves such things as are moved by money. So it's such things as are motivated by fear, coercion, and greed, um, and necessity. Right. So where you can create conditions of necessity mm-hmm. and really fulfill them with money, but money does not move such things as are moved by love. Um, that's where virtue moves. I think about this a lot. I really do because it's like. We, we we have all these jobs where people are getting money, um, especially like within the financial world, but they're not becoming a imitatable father in their work, right? It's like when you're, when you are, how do I put it? When you're doing something, you're not just moving numbers around to get money. When you're doing something, you develop a certain character, Right. Mm-hmm. So, if you're a, a plumber, if you are a um, guy that finds the the water lines for the city, if you, I don't know, I'm like I got water on the mind, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Like you, you develop certain habits, certain abilities, certain knowledge. You become a certain kind of person. It becomes evident in your in your life. And even if your child doesn't imitate you directly, it's clear that your child is looking at a particular type of person that he could be, that he could not be, that he could be a variation of, that he can, you know, learn from, that he can change, you know, in relation to. Mm-hmm. But when you don't develop that kind of character because your work is, does, doesn't, well, your work's not work. <laughs> so it doesn't imprint you with a particular mode of being. Then even while you gain the world, you kind of lose your soul. 
and, and by losing your soul, you also lose yourself as an object of imitation and love f from other people. Mm -hmm. Or rather, you make all that a sort of private thing. Like, okay, well, my son, my, and I don't mean just my particular son. I mean, like, anyone who looks up to me mm -hmm. imitates me insofar as I have all these other, you know, I'm friendly. I have these social things that are apart from my work. But in terms of your total life, um, you're not becoming a particular person. And that always strikes me as one of those things where it's like, that's something that money can't achieve, right? And that's why when you talk with people that grew up poor, they often have a strong sense of love and respect for their uh, parents as really being like, I saw my dad work, I saw how much he, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's something that they, it's something that they aspire to. Whereas often I think with, in the financial world, it's like, um, well, I loved it when my dad was home, you know? Yeah, and that's right. he took me out to the park or something like that. But there's no sense of like his labor as being him. Uh, you know, does that? Yeah, it absolutely does. I, I knew a guy around here. They they literally squatted in in a house, kind of like a, a ransacked holes in the ground. Uh, what did they, they called the bathroom, the um, the climate room or something like that? Because there was a one foot hole in it, just looking straight outside. Oh, awesome. And it was. <laughs> It was really frigid during the winter. And uh, and you know, he grew up and he said, you know, I just want to be poor like my parents because wow. we were so happy, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, like, what a line. But it's the same thing. Whereas, you know, you there is there is some sort of strange, like, uh, desire that a lot of guys have to be like their dads. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, even though, even though I didn't, my dad was miserable and unhappy and, you know, wanted to retire really young because he hated his job. Mm -hmm. I kind of still wanted to do what he did just mm -hmm. because he did it. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be miserable and unhappy mm -hmm. yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and maybe also retire early. It almost you worked know? out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but dang, joy got me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's that kind of strange tension there where it's... Um, there's like a real compassion even for what, even when the, when the work is ill. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? It doesn't matter if cash is ill because cash is king. Cash is king. Next aphorism, bro. Yeah. This is one that, that we've discussed, but I have not actually heard in real life. No one's told me this. <laughs> well, the idea here is, is not so much that money makes the world go around that it does. I think it suggests that, but it really comes from an investing standpoint of it's, uh, you know, if the market's high, if prices are, are up there, then best have cash. Cash is king. Wait wait till you have a lowered price because that's the stable thing. Now, nobody really says that money's stable anymore because yeah, I was about to say, like, don't, don't they all tell us not to have cash but to have uh, investments? This yeah, this was, this was like an early 1900s oh. thing. And so then, back when cash was king. Cash yeah, was exactly. King. Now the way that it exists is that uh, cash is better than credit. Which at this point, there's true. almost no difference. Yeah. I mean, you just have to say that like treasury bills or something like that. Well, what about... The rich hold treasury bills. Yeah. I mean, in truth, in relation to this, I would say what's probably grasping at but missing is that ownership is king, right? Like, it seems like owning things and skills of real value. Mm -hmm. And insofar as cash held that at some point, I can see it being developed into an aphorism, but... Being a measure and reward yeah. of your of your own labor yeah, of yeah, like of yeah. what you've what you've accomplished and thus you own it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Labor is king. Labor it's is king. Almost like labor has a priority over capital. No, 
It's the king of capital, one really? might say. Would Labor. you say that? King of capital. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, so I, this has kind of been a funny way that the popes of the tradition has argued this through the centuries. I mean, Innocent the 11th. Love him. Dude, this guy was, he was just awesome. He had this um, long, long list, a, a, a document that he published, Condemned Propositions of the Laxists. You don't hear that much anymore. Anyways. Uh, everyone's taking laxists now. Yeah. <laughs> a pro for laxis. Uh, You're pro for laxis? <laughs> <laughs> and But this is one of the things that like, he took on cash as king. Oh, yeah. You, you know, so he's, this is one of the things that the laxist said that he condemned. He said, since ready cash is more valuable than that to be paid, and since there is no one who does not consider ready cash of greater worth than future cash, a creditor can demand something beyond the principal from the borrower, and for this reason, be excused from usury. He's condemning that proposition. Yeah, yeah. that's condemned. Yeah, so, Can't use that so, one. Stop so trying. people were saying, like, well, because I'm giving this guy money, real cash right now, uh, I can charge for that, because that's better than... What future money? Yeah, future money, or yeah, or money present is better than many absent. So you look, I'm going to pay you in a couple of days. Oh, I see. You know, so uh, you're gonna you're gonna get that, or here's a notary bill. You, like that's mm-hmm. good. It's not the same thing, but you like you can do it. And you say that's not as good. I'm going to charge you more because it's just not as good. Right. But it's usurious, as he says, because it is trying to get more without doing more. Yeah. You know, totally. so again, just, it goes back just by to the comparison. Yeah. Yeah. So labor again is in the Pope's eyes there again, the priority. And I, you know, I also think, you know, there's something a little bit interesting about this transition that happens between the classical economists and the neoclassical economists between understanding labor as a major point of setting the price of of a good yeah. versus uh, uh, the uh, need alone or or perception alone um, this marginal utility theory is like how much how much more use could i get out of a thing um, without the consideration of how it was produced yeah. and and it, and the transition is you know really convinced a lot of people between these two camps that that in fact prices are set just by our desire like whatever yeah. we desire to pay for the thing yeah exactly yeah. um with and, and and the way that it's phrased and argued it really makes a lot of sense like yeah I mean, how else are you going to get a price you know if we're talking about right here in the media case you want to sell me that coaster mm. you know it's a great coaster yep on a great table how much do you pay for it well however much i really want it i guess maybe Four dollars, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But the understanding of those previous understood that that would never be produced if it was not for someone's work. If yeah. they did not see that their time and their skill was worthwhile, that is the the just in kind of the the progression of steps. The thing that is more preeminent. Right. Because if, if if I made this coaster, mm-hmm. I'd have to say all right, I'm going to put an hour of my time. I need this much money for my family. So at the very least, this has got to be worth $6 mm-hmm. where labor is setting the price. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think that there's just no sense of justice within the latter, like the sense that what 
we make things for is for life. <laughs> like we make things in order to to live and to be in the world. And so prices should always be taking that into account. Mm -hmm. I buy it. All right. So cash isn't king. Labor is king. I think that's true. I think we should say that whenever we hear the contrary. Brand it on your cattle. Tattoo it on your arm. There you go. Where's where there's muck, there's brass below. That's just a funny one. I don't think people really say that anymore. Where there's muck, where there's like poop. Right. Then there's money underneath it. I get the analogy, but what is what is the analogy get? Or or what is the thing that is making the analogy? Like where are they finding brass under poop? I think they just it's like an association. No, 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 but like you can't just have the phrase. That, that's, like, <laughs> that's like saying where there's wood, there's, I don't know, metal. There's not, what, like you'd have to have some kind of trade or something where they're finding brass under poop, which I just don't, I don't think is real. Don't you think that muck is just kind of a, an, an, like a, a synecdoche for like vice? Oh, I see. Okay, okay. So where there's, where there's where there's wickedness about, you'll find money. I think it's kind of follow the money. Follow the money! Yeah. <laughs> there's one. Well, we should just have used that yeah, instead of that deeply an anachronistic and confusing <laughs> aphorism. Yeah, follow the money's a pretty good one, you know, because... Follow the money's good because it doesn't come from someone who's obviously just reading old books. <laughs> Jacob's like, I've got a good aphorism for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't been reading 17th century manuals. Why would you say that? <laughs> the uh, fall of money, I think, makes fall sense. Fall of money. I think yeah. that, one, unlike, unlike money makes the world go round and cash is king, that one might be true. Well, within a mercantile economy, if you if you are ha taking as the presumption that the re predominant reason people act is for the sake of money, and you want to follow <laughs> a trail of action to get to the bottom of it to find out who's involved, then it does make sense that you you follow the money. Yep. There you go. Okay. Well, that one's easy enough. I would also toss in there that vice also just always makes us the same. Like the, we have the classic trope of the dictator with his mustache, the lazy kid in his mom's basement to speak to the fact that vice really make, gives you a type yeah, of sure. person. Mm -hmm. And so if we're all becoming like, then we don't really get much create, much more creative than just wanting money. This is like why all the movies are, you know, ultimately, why are the bad guys doing this? Well, because there's like, $4 million at the end of it. Right, 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 it. right. It's like, couldn't they think of anything else? It's like, no, they actually couldn't. Yeah. That's, vice makes you slow. Yeah, yeah. Too bad for them. Uh, <laughs> no, this is another anachronistic one. Money like seawater is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. Okay, but we'll get away. Yeah, I just don't think, I don't know that that's, there, there's a sort of insatiability with money because it's, uh, in infinite sets you up on like an infinite um, possibility. You can always get more of it. Right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you can't get satiated. Like once once you have a yearning, aching for bread. Yeah, you know, it's like that goes away with enough bread. Yeah, eaten. but I do think this is one of those things where it's only an aphorism for our own society. It, it doesn't have any um, further resonances because I just know too many stories in which you know, subsistent economies. So economies of agriculture, farming, people working for their daily bread were transitioned into wage economies and then finding that 
the people did not want to work for just indefinitely more money. Yeah. Did you read that article in the, like, the Scottish Highlands? It's like no, They it's did just... exactly this. I mean, they try and introduce money into the economy. Okay. And they were just subsistence farmers. Yeah. And they are trying to, like, struggling to figure out why they would do this money thing. But they were not producing any more than what they previously were doing, precisely because they were just content with their life. Right. And yeah. so money didn't actually lead yeah. them to that. It's like more infinite that reach, right? It's more that money within conditions of scarcity yeah. is like seawater, because then the more you drink, the more you'll want, because you're up against. You know what I mean? It's not simply that money itself presents itself as this infinity, and we just like want to climb up ladders of infinity. I, I for one, don't want to climb up infinity ladders. <laughs> um, it's more like money provides a potential remedy if you also presume that human beings lack in an infinite way, that there isn't contentment or satisfaction, you have to destroy that in people first and then present money as the remedy, which is why every movement to a money economy only occurs through the destruction of a subsistent economy. Mm -hmm. So once you have people say, and sometimes this can even ride on things that are really difficult about subsistence economies, so I'm not denying that, but it maximizes the difficulties and then brings in money as the salvation. So you see this with like, I mean, you see this all the time, but you see this obviously in, in France and England um, and during the beginnings of capitalism. At first you had to get rid of the commons, yeah. you had to get rid of the means by which people were simply subsisting. And then you say, well, we transitioned to a money economy, but what you mean is now the way to survive is through getting a wage and then spending that on commodities. Um, so... I think we have to sometimes be careful about the way we use these sorts of things because you read it in the tradition and and you presume that money itself, like just as a measure, um, makes us insatiable with greed. But I think that it's more like it can do that. Mm -hmm. um, but the way to get a people to do that is to destroy them on some other level, to destroy to destroy a means of contentment. Yep. Um, yeah. So it's like we have rule by discontented people. You know, people themselves want a whole bunch of money because they're not content and they don't have, which is why it often comes, it, you know, capitalism always come, kind of comes top down in this way, right? It's from the noble class because they they aren't living a subsistence right. life. Um, the catechism actually warns against this. Oh, yeah? This like, yeah, for the, for the, like, the middle class or for mm. the lower classes to beware of the merchant Mm. You know, in his own discontentment, bringing you into into his own discontentment. Right, right, right. Yeah. So watch out for his. I mean, today we would say watch out for his marketing. Yeah, you like know? watch watch for where the ads are making you discontent. Yeah, with the life that you yeah were previously content with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, although it's scary to see how much of our presumed natural state of life is in fact accrued marketing from previous generations. Right. The things That's I think true. I need. Yeah. All right, we got a lot of good ones. Work smarter, not harder. <laughs> That's not really a money one per se. It kind of is, you know, because it's trying to figure out how do how do you make more money? Right. Well, you you don't have to work any harder than you're you know than you're doing. Just figure out the ways in which you could utilize money in different relationships or yeah. different ways to make people work for you. Mm -hmm. That's all you got to do. Yeah, very often. So I'll I'll do things with hand tools or just with my hands because I want to. I like to work without the use of 
of lots of machines. And very often I'm told by very well-meaning people, work smarter, not harder. Here's this machine that, you know, and they're often very gracious about it. They're like, I'll bring the machine over, you know, (laughs) I'll even give you some diesel and you can do this job faster. And then you're working smarter, not harder. And and it's always tough for me because on the one hand, there's something just very obscene and romantic about what I'm doing. I'm just like, no, please don't take from me my my fantasy peasant life. Like, <laughs> so that, that's happening. That's totally vulnerable to critique. I get it. But what what enthusiasts of work smarter, not harder, seem to forget sometimes is that often working smarter, and maybe most of the time, working smarter is not about changing who you are in order to more effectively master what you're doing because mm-hmm. there is a way in which it's true, right? Like if I don't know how to lift a rock because I'm like carrying it in front of me and I'm not, I'm not bending my knees and I'm hurting my back, you know, I'm doing more work than I need to do. So there's a way in which I become a master of lifting rocks mm-hmm. where I'm, I'm, I'm toiling less, even though my work is still lifting rocks. It's still the same. Um, but what I think the, the working smarter by which it means replaced with the machine does is it forgets that, it simply is asking other people to work for you in different respects. Right. Right. So uh, I think it was Ivan Illich who had this critique of technology and said, well, the real problem with technology is, is that we don't know how to do without slaves. This blew my mind because this is such an obvious recognition that people ask, well, why didn't, why didn't we have like technological progress within the ancient world and the way we do now? And it's like, cause they had slaves. So when you can just get other people to do it for you, you don't think, how can I get a device to do it for me? Right. right. But if you think about like a heavy machinery, what you're really doing is you're spending money now to utilize the machine, which is the product of the labor of others, hopefully being paid well, but probably not. Um, to make the machine, you're relying on diesel or gasoline to fuel the machine, which is coming from you know, Middle East or, or however that's coming. Yeah. You're at the end of multiple supply chains. Yep. And then in your labor, as you use the machine to do the work, to work smarter, not harder, you're also in less need of help from others. So whereas work where it's hard tends to lead people to look for help, mm-hmm. you know, many hands make light work is the opposite of work smarter, not harder in some ways. Because when you look to other people, then you're trying to employ them to give them some benefit and to build a community of relationship through mutual work, that with the machine no longer becomes even an impulse, much less necessary. Because mm. it's funny though, because you still are relying on a community of laborers. It's just they're Chinese manufacturers, they're Middle Eastern oil magnates. So you're still just, you don't know them. You don't know them. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you're still tying people in to work smarter, not harder. Um, it's just that they're strange to you, and maybe, and you don't know the conditions of their labor, which is unfortunate. Um, so when people say work smarter, not harder, it's like, well, but what if by working harder, we're able to actually have the fruits of labor in the way that God intended them labor to be fruitful? Like what if by working harder, we tend towards needing help, the humility of needing help, the gathering of people, the, you know, seeing our own imprint in work, Mm -hmm. our bodies getting stronger, you know, like. Um, I once visited Wendell Berry and he said he was working on, uh, uh, when we visited him, he said he was working on an essay that he's never published. So now I'm talking about it because I, as you presume it's never coming, it's never coming. So I'm just, but what he said was really cool. He was saying like, I want to do, he's talking about his land and how his land was worth a certain value. 
and how he was bemoaning the fact that he had to express in terms of a cash price what the land was worth. And he said, what I would like to do is write up like a real estate um, sort of description of the land that calculated the value of uncalculatables. So he's talking about here's the value of the aesthetic quality of the land. Here's the value of the history of the land. Here's the value of you know, the way my grandchildren can visit and play here. You know what I mean? So he's, he's basically exploding the idea of being able to simply have a, a translation of things into cash by saying like, well, what if we actually translated the whole meaning of home into cash? Like where eventually you get a billion dollar entity is, is what he's saying. Wow. Think and about it. It's line of credit. Yeah, yeah credit. exactly. <laughs> and I think about this the same with, with work. It's like, yeah, if you are simply calculating time and money, which is all we seem to do, then of course, work smarter, not harder makes sense. But if work means something more, if it's for something, if it's for the production of community, right? If it's for the strengthening of the body, right? If it's for the, the realization of man, imagine if it was for the realization of man as he puts his imprint onto the material world. Um, if it was for all these things, then you would say, okay, but this is a bad trade to work smarter because now I lose all of these. And, you know, if you need to translate them into cash, you'd say, actually, it's worth $200 for me to see my imprint within raw material. And you're taking cash from me <laughs> with your introduction of the machine. If that, as, anyways, that was a long because I, I, I feel strongly about that. So I apologize for the long I'm just not going to get an excavator now. I mean, that's true. <laughs> you sometimes you need machines. I mean, I, yeah. I, you say this, and sometimes it feels like, okay, well, then what about all these projects that require, like, you know, like. No, well, we did this. I mean, like, with, yeah. with your wall. I mean, Mike offered you his. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was you thinking know, about my wall. His backhoe. <laughs> backhoe, you know? And, I uh, said, keep your hoe, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and a couple hours went by, and we were dripping in sweat, and. Yeah. Not, don't tell Mike. Or you said that. All right. Because <laughs> well, I, yeah. well, I was beginning to feel, okay, now I know why he wants a backhoe because work is hard. Yeah. And it's not even that he was trying to get rid of work because there is a place for the use of, of machines, especially in a remedial sense, right? Like we don't, I mean, I think of the Amish all the time because like they will literally get the boys together and lift up a barn. Yeah. It's just incredible. Yeah. And move it. Like, uh, they will, they will do through the power of many hands makes light work. What we do through the power of the machine and through work smarter not harder. And they are richer than us. They have more skill than us. They own more land than us. They are happier than us. Like we talk about the Amish as if they're just some like anomaly and not the obvious refutation of all our beliefs, yeah. which is that we are the ones that are supposed to end up richer. Like like materially richer, they have more money than us. Like they could, they could just destroy us if they ever used the capital that they simply amass by staying in one place, keeping things within the family, not, uh, you know, not uh, sort of spreading out all of their wealth into a national economy of of digital tools and technologies. It's like, um, yeah, they're really funny the way we think of them as like hokey, <laughs> when actually they just won. They, they figured it out. They yeah. won capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just not telling us because if we figure it out, then we might win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and part of the way, reason you know that they won is because you never hear about them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, this is, what's the, gosh, who, who was it? I can't remember the line. Oh, this is from the man who was Thursday. You know, the, the true ruler. 
Josiah? Of, of the world. Yeah, Josiah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Just your ruler of the earth. Um, he is he's in control by ensuring that nobody knows who he is, yeah. unlike Caesar or Napoleon. Oh, but yeah, if Caesar yeah. and Napoleon were in the room with him, they'd be eating out of his hand, you know? <laughs> That's just kind of the line. That's the Amish, That's baby. Amish, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. they go all the way to the top, too. All right, so you mentioned a couple more in, in that. Uh, but time is money. Oh, yeah. You made some kind of money time reference there. Yeah, time is money. That's huge. Yeah, that one's just true, right? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> when people say time is money, I just say, no, uh, the words are different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not a univocal meeting, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I Yeah, this one is kind of I'm just sad where everything is calculated, you know, and it's as, as soon as you start to understand time, it's part of creation. It's something that is calculatable and thus exchangeable. Mm-hmm. And then you stop thinking about it as gift and then you feel like you're constantly up against the clock. Instead of totally receptive. So, I mean, I guess in kind of the practical senses of this this aphorism is that you start to lose part of the joy de vivre here because you stop thinking about time as something that is fundamentally good as a gift rather than as something that is supposed to be um, utilized for the most productive use. Yeah, no, it's it's wild. There's so many, so many anxieties that that develop from this view that you have um, this idea that, well, anything I do could be me laboring to earn money. Um, And so anything I do has a exchangeable monetary value, right? Because it could be otherwise. Uh, This always just seems to be a gross fallacy in so many ways, because it's like, on the one hand, uh, are you like... (laughs) we're talking about a society of wage work to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it's also just not true that you could make more money with your time if you're getting paid by the hour because you can't make more money with the time. You have a fixed rate, right? So the idea that time is money there, like on the one hand, it's true because your time has become money, mm-hmm. but it's not like then your other activities are somehow like, lost because they could be used. I mean, I guess unless you just worked your job all the time. Yeah. But I mean, that's the other thing. It's like man is finite and he sleeps, which means that his hours cannot be indefinitely put to the earning of money. Now, of course, what you would say is another phrase, right? You got to make your money work for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is just a big one that, I mean, obviously we've all heard it. We've all talked about it a lot, but this idea of mailbox money, you know, is, is one that was particularly you know, important for our family growing up was, you know, there's only one of you. You can only work so hard. And therefore you need to be able to, you know, get more money, you know, than what you're just alone capable of. Mm. And obviously there's something true about that. But instead of looking to your community, to your friends, keeping, sharing, holding things in common as best we can without being commies. (laughs) Being foul pinkos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, then then you know, if we can't do those things, then then we turn the money to you know, to be able to have more more of the riches of life. You right. Know? Yeah, the individual is extended not through his friends, but through his slaves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's all that is. If you're if you're not working for the results then somebody else is working for them for you. So pretty much, yeah, make your money work for you is equivalent to saying have slaves. Have slaves. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hey, have slaves, <laughs> said modernity. I would recommend the Uyghurs. They're doing great these days. Great, <laughs> high-quality slaves. Yeah. Ow. <laughs> Ow. Dude. Too soon. <laughs> it's still actively going on, bro. <laughs> no, it's a really good point that, that we think that just because we don't see slaves that all of our all of our thought of transcending the the labor uh, measure of money mm-hmm. is really just our immense effort to hide slaves yeah and this is there from the beginning you know I, I talked about that philosophy of manufacture book um, and one of the other things that he just doesn't seem to get is that so he's talking about how all like the use of automated labor systems frees us from labor it frees us from the curse of of Adam. You know, we're just living a different life now. Yeah. Uh, and why? Well, it's because coal produces steam and then the steam does the work for us. And then all you have to do is ask, well, like, who's getting the coal? <laughs> and he briefly touches upon it in this book where he says, yeah, but, you know, the coal miners are themselves being helped by automated systems. So, you know, but but then you <laughs> just <bit>. ask, <laughs> well, where did those come from and what powers those? And eventually you get down to the point where, like, there is someone who is making your automated system possible, whether it's financial or material or, or manufacturing, you know, there are people doing it. And even if you have the perfect automated system, you still have to go out and get people to mine lithium, right? Or to mine coal. Mm-hmm. And so you have this underbelly of, of when you become an energy economy, like we're going to, we're going to have energy work for us, mm-hmm. right? You still have people working for you. It's just that they're in the mines. Yeah. And so, you, and, and when you forget that, when you hide the slave, which is what all slave economies do, I mean, that's why, you know, in the South they designed houses so you couldn't see the slaves who were, you know, using dumb waiters and back stairways and everything to yep. to move about the house. I mean, that is simply a really particular instance of of the way capitalism works writ large. Is that we okay? The slaves are in China who are manufacturing. The slaves are in the mines in Africa to get our lithium. Um, and I think sometimes people. It's unfortunate, but it's an obvious rebuttal. It's like, well, but aren't they making wages here and there, you know? Yeah. Um, As if the slaves of old were worked. making wages, yeah. Yeah. I mean, give me a break. I mean, you got to make sure that they live till tomorrow to keep working. Right. There's yeah. never, it's just never been a slave economy. Like, we, we deliberately imagine a slave economy in our heads to deny that we have one. Yeah. It's like, there's never been a slave economy where, like, the slaves aren't fed, the slaves aren't housed, the slaves are just in, like, agon- agony, just, like, starving and incapable of anything because you're just <laughs> demolishing them with your boots. It's like, that doesn't even make sense. No one would be so dumb as to, like, even in your in your glorious, tyrannical sort of wrath, you're not so dumb as to crush the very means of your tyranny. It's yeah. like, no, you got to... You got to pay them. Yep. And sometimes very well. You know, yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, that's, that's the thing. Well, that, that was the South's the... argument against the North in the Civil War is that they, they, I mean, it was very cogent, I thought, which was like, okay, they're against slavery. Um, but their wage slavery puts a Northern industrial Irishman mm-hmm. like in worse conditions than we do just by owning these people and giving them, you know, Food and land and you know all you know the yeah. stuff. Obviously, there's taking care of their families. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Obviously, there's not uh, there's not a lot of good faith in that argument, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't buy it for a reason. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But we, but I think the the reason that that it, I'm saying it's effective is because we want. There's a lot going on here. 
But the idea is like, well, they owned people as if, as if purely making ownership a kind of private property kind of ownership, like they really thought they owned them, yeah. like they could do what they wanted with them kind of yeah. thing. As if that you're not also owning people in wage slavery right, in the right. sense of you are the means by which they survive. And if you don't provide what you provide, they will not survive. And you're intentionally keeping them at a non-ownership. Like they, they literally don't own their land, their house. They're dependent on their wage labor. And so you can always assure them as part of the... Uh, yeah, and there's kind of two sides of production. To, to, to this. And on the one side, it could be somebody that knows their misery. Yeah. And the other, it could be someone that does not know their misery. Yeah. So, so I mean, talking about the like kids mining cobalt in Africa, like they're dying actively. There's, you know, it's just a terrible situation. People know that they're miserable. Yeah. You know. Okay. So that's the one hand. On the other, there's somebody like, you know, my next door neighbor. Great. <laughs> Thankfully, we stopped Johnny in time. This is one of one of one of their one of the kids. He went off to a used uh, car lot. And, and the used car salesman um, told him that this one car was uh, really great and that he should get it. The interest rate was only 25%. <laughs> and Johnny comes back and he says, <laughs> we're like, what, what are you thinking, dude? And he goes, well, the, the guy told me it was a really great car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And this is when, you know, I think it's 2434 in the catechism. It says that a contract is not just just because yeah. people have agreed to it. Yeah. And we make this, this understood, like we make too much out of this idea that, yeah, but we've agreed. We've both signed on the dotted lines. Right, right, right. And it's like, well, on the one side, they could be feeling forced. Like they don't have any other options. Right. They could be that kid in Africa. On the other side, they could just be duped. Yeah. And in neither case is justice right. achieved. Totally. You know? Totally. So. <laughs> yeah. But make money work for you. Make, yeah, make money work for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like saying this, I got to make this work for me. I don't know what that is. That was an ashtray. Make you work for you. Yeah. All right. What's the next? Oh, don't do, don't do business with friends. That's another one we brought up. Yeah. And that's sort of, you can see how that flows from a lot of the other yeah. popular wisdom that we've already discussed, which is basically presuming that um, money is a world of, I mean, it is in some ways, but it's a sort of coercive world of contracts, which are inimical to friendship. Right. Right. Which yeah. in some level is true, right? Like if you mean you're doing business practices as, as best business practices, then yeah, don't do that to your friends. That's a wicked thing to do to anyone, <laughs> especially your friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't steal from your friends, for instance. Um, you know, if the, if it's true that the, um, if, um, profits are most properly for the laborer, um, primarily, which is what the Pope say. And then you're hiring your friend to not give him a share in the profits, but to give him a wage. Yeah. Then, yeah, that's mean. Don't be mean to friends. <laughs> yeah, so but that's not what people mean when they say that. They mean they mean that the the money itself, the use of money, the business, really, the attempt to make some money is somehow um, like just it just requires relations of neutrality or enmity in order to be effective. Yeah. Or don't risk it. I think it's mm -hmm. often how I've heard it. Yeah. You know, you have a good thing going with this, with this friend. As soon as you bring money involved, you know, you're, you're tugging at, you know, the deepest part of their hearts and they're going to choose their, right. their, their self, their self being money yeah. over you. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. um, 
And and I just yeah, not only is that evil and wrong, and it also just misunderstands what business is supposed to be. I mean, when Saint Thomas talks about creating a business partnership, he uses the same word for marriage as in Latin is is for marriage. What, what's the so, name of that saint? The blessed Carlo is it Carlo, who's a South American businessman? Saint? Oh, um, yeah, the guy Ruben's all into. Yeah, he I was a he was a. Um, he was a businessman, um, and his cause for canonization is up, and we're going to put his name in the <laughs> comments. Um, but when he, but he it was totally just he imbibed the church's teaching. He drank it up. Mm. He was full of it. He was bubbling with it, and he thought of his business vocation as providing work, being a river of work for his laborer. Mm -hmm. Right, with whom profit sharing was just a given. Mm -hmm. And there was a point in his life where I think he needed a a kidney or he needed a blood transfusion. No, it was like he needed, oh, he needed yeah. a blood transfusion. Yeah. And his and his workers lined up to donate their blood to their boss, right? Which is insane. And when he got better, he said something to the effect of, it is an honor to have the blood of workers in my veins. <laughs> like that yeah. is... The Catholic mentality towards business, not simply don't do it with friends, but like be proud to have the blood of workers in your veins mm. as a businessman, because that, that is what you're doing in business, right? Yeah. Is using their blood, using their work, using their sweat, using their labor for them, you know? Anyways, but you were saying something else. I just have always been inspired by that as like, a, oh yeah, we don't understand business at all. If that is in fact like a yeah. saintly businessman, then we don't understand business. That's right. No, I think that's that's the entire point, is that if we are falling... I mean, the one thing that Christ tells us to do with money is to make friends with it. Yeah. I mean, that is just... It's all it's good for. Yeah. <laughs> no, if... Yeah, it, but that really does show it's not a transaction between us. Yeah. It's a joint activity, you know, yeah. with us. I mean, we're actually binding together. We have blood throw one another's blood throat flowing through our veins. Mm. Speech. It's awesome. <laughs> it's a beautiful skill. <laughs> uh, and as soon as we start to realize that that is the true form of business, business in the ideal, business simply as it should be, yeah. then that really should change our entire mentality. We should want to work with friends. We should be able to say, you know, I trust that guy over anybody else. And of course I want to do business with him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So no, it's it's wild how even how much we look for enemies to do to do business with. Like I want people who would sue me if things go bad. I want people who would leave if at the drop of a hat if it no longer proved to be within their interest. Yeah. Precisely because we believe that everyone's greedy, and so if we can get into a situation with greedy people where we're all mutually fulfilling that greedy desire, then this is really going to make the business tick. And I, I'm not knocking it as an idea because obviously it works within a society of greedy yeah. people. It's like, yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. And, and in fact, friendships become ineffective precisely where the amassment of profits is the goal in itself. Right. Because you see them wasting time, for instance, by having friendly conversations. Yeah. You see them, you know, like getting involved in interests that have nothing to do with the business because they like each other, right? You see them, <laughs> you know, so so I'm not 
arguing that again, it's it's just these these aphorisms, this wisdom, they're key words within a economy of language that is that is reflective of our reality. Yep. It's just that our reality is the reality of of billions of merchants trading their skin to each other. That's right. You know, I, I have a friend. He recently left kind of a corporate his corporate job and started working for some Catholic apostolate. Yes. You know, <laughs> you know, doing kind of the same thing as what he was doing. Like it was the same skill sets yeah, moved yeah. over, but yeah, it was, yeah. you know, it's, it's now for the church. He, he thought, and just a few months in, I asked him, you know, how's it going? And he goes, dude, Oh no, you just can't get anything done. I was like, what, what are you talking about? And he says, well, in business, just everybody knows that you're after money. So if the deal makes sense, you take it the deal doesn't make sense according to like the mind of profitability, then you don't. And there's just like no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Mm -hmm. And everybody just assumes this. And so there's like no ill will when it doesn't work out because it's like, yeah, we, we know what our ultimate end is. But in the Catholic apostate world, there is this war going on in everybody's soul. Are we doing it for money? Are we doing it for mission? Are we doing it for cash? Are we doing it for Christ? Which one is it? Mm. And he says, because that war is still actively raging, right, right. it makes us very inefficient. Totally. <laughs> yeah, it's like you got to choose Christ or the devil there, because if you choose the devil, you can be very efficient. And if you all choose Christ, you can be very efficient. Right? Exactly. Yeah. You see this often within like... But you can't do both mammon and Christ. It's Weird. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> this keeps happening. Uh, yeah, no, you see this all the time within the lives of saints where you're, you're just sort of passively reading some silly French hagiography and they're like, and then he founded a hospital and then he founded an orphanage and then he founded a school. And then and you're like, dude, <laughs> this guy's killing it out there. And you realize like, okay, well, this is an effectiveness, a real effectiveness. Like what we mean by effectiveness is attainable, but only within a community that's presuming the same goods. Like only yeah. if the saint has people that he can approach where he says, give alms or you're going to go to hell. And that person believes him and in fact gives alms. Do you have effectiveness, right? A saint always is in some way a saintly community. Like it has a, they don't come out of a vacuum, right? And right now we're trying to raise saints within, but not change the culture. And so we have a bunch of very saintly, very frustrated people. Because they, I mean, Jose Maria Escriba says this. He says that, you know, whenever the, the Catholic goes about fundraising, he has to hold a bingo night and like do a dance to get people to give money. <laughs> and he's right because there's the active need to translate the ends of Christ, right? Love for the poor, mm -hmm. the common good, your neighbor, you know, the kingdom of heaven. These no longer inspire giving. Yeah. So you take those ends, you translate them into entertainment, prestige, um, you know, tax breaks <laughs> or whatever, whatever it is. And then, and then, but that, that is a loss of efficiency. You see how that's a loss of efficiency, yeah, right? Because totally. now you're hosting bingo nights, you know, now you're running around talking to people about the, their uh, ROI for their donation or whatever. And you are, that work of translation becomes like hours of your day. Well, well now you're ineffective. Yep. So, yeah, you're right. There's efficiency in the kingdom of heaven. There's efficiency in the pandemonium of the demons. And there's just a lot of mess in between. <laughs> Which is what capitalism understands of itself, I think, when they want a total money economy where everything's fun. Like, they see an ideal efficiency of Satan. <laughs> like, <laughs> they see, like, oh, right, a world in which everyone was rationally following money. And the popes see that, too. They, <laughs> they just don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the next one that okay, we got sorry. on there? Getting to... Uh, 
Lucy Goosey, as is the phenomenology of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's not personal. It's just business. Oh, yeah. Don't don't mind me. You know, there's a different realm over here. You two-tiered Thomas business. <laughs> yeah, it's not personal, just business. I think what I like about this phrase is that it shows that we're still quite good because only villains say it, and we know that they're villains. Like, yeah. You never, like, arrive at the point in the movie where the guy's like, now listen, it's not personal, it's just business. And you're like, that guy's the hero. That guy's going places. <laughs> no, you say that, though, but I've heard people in real life, like, good people, say that. Well, they're not good people. Well, okay, let me take that back. <laughs> nice people. People that are nice really people. sweet. I know. Everyone's nice. I tell this to my <laughs> wife all the time yeah. because people often say, well, I don't understand that he did this bad thing because he's such a nice person. But niceness is just a word that means he gets along within society. Yeah. And so by virtue of him being effective in society at all, for good or for ill, he's nice. Yes, that's right. Both saints and sinners are nice because you have to be nice. So the etymology of nice, Fnescius, meaning ignorant, makes sense here. Wow. Because he's like ignorant of his true end, of what he's actually supposed right. to be doing. His so niceness just, is getting on. Floating gets on. in the river. Yep. Everyone gets on. Yeah. Do, it's, this is sort of the same as the, the don't do business with friends, but it kind of puts an emphasis on liberal modernity's idea of the world of business as this like self-enclosed realm that's free from the moral judgment of the church. Yeah, totally. Which if you actually follow the money, you'll realize that that's what like where liberalism comes from is the desire to create a fictional autonomous realm in which you get to do what you want free from the moral judgment of mm -hmm. the church. Yep. That's the real conspiracy theory. Yeah, I think that's it. It's trying to have your cake and eat it too. You know, where you are you are able to uh, live in this world and yet create your own, mm. you know. And, and I see this, man, a lot. And, um, well, actually, like, kind of like, I think this opportunity cost thing is, is really big. And what do you mean? So when uh, somebody considers what they could be doing, mm -hmm. making more money in one way yeah. or another, they, they try and say, well, I, I should probably do this, this one thing, but I'm losing a good opportunity to make money over here. And therefore I'm going to charge somebody uh, interest mm -hmm. or, uh, or, or a fee for losing that opportunity here. Yeah. But that's trying to live in two different realities mm, at yeah. the same time. It's trying to say, I wish that I had gotten the results, the effects of doing cause A, yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. really going to do cause B instead. Yeah, yeah. And it's so. like, then you're just like tossing that burden on somebody else. But we do that in society at large. This is like the game of liberalism. I want to, you know, live in the world that I want, and I'm going to force other people to yeah, recognize yeah, yeah, yeah. that. I mean, this is, I mean... It's so easy enough to point fingers at the transgender thing or like now people are pretending to be cats or whatever. It's just like, you have to go along with it. And it's, it's like, well, do I? I mean, I guess like if you like force me, then I will. I don't know. Wow. The transgender <laughs> to usury connection is, is blowing my mind. The, the attempt to accrue a sort of social merit for paths not taken. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, the idea of a world in which, and it's just funny, like people don't say it because it's in movies, but they say things akin to this, right? Which is like, well, I can, I can drop all this Christian morality stuff uh, in order to make money. 
and then reignite it like back in the real world and use it use it from oral ends. I mean that's just like the constant neocon refrain, it seems to me. Gotta get rid of that. Let's shoot them. <laughs> With the gospels. Pow pow. Actually, Blaze, this is pretty funny. Blaze has a little squirt gun. It's my two-year-old. And uh, he uh, was at first Friday, one of the first Fridays this summer, and he like runs down the alley mm-hmm. in between oh, yeah. buildings, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and there's like a group of guys there and kind of looked like they were up to no good. And they like turn and look at this little kid and he turns back at them. And he raises up his squirt gun and goes, pow, pow. <laughs> <laughs> They laughed. It was awesome. That's great. He knows the wicked. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. So I think it is personal. It's always personal. Yeah, it's always personal. You're always affecting somebody. This is when John Paul II says that the decision to invest in one place rather than another, in one productive venture rather than another, is always a moral and cultural decision. There's no neutral... And no neutrality means that it's always personal. It's always affecting somebody. And that's just obvious. And it's most most importantly affecting you. You are habituating yourself towards an understanding of a world, of a self-enclosed world in which virtue and vices don't actually attend. Yeah. I mean, to you, like, as if you can get away with operating in this sphere, in this realm, without it informing and forming your eternal soul. Of course, you're still going to be formed or ill-formed, deformed by by what you're doing. Totally, yeah. And I think you know the rise of business like just gamifies society. You know, like makes everything like a video game. But what I've noticed about people playing video games is that it actually is very personal. Like they put all their anger and rage into them. You know what I mean? And I think this happens with with the whole business thing. It's like people will say these lines as long as they're not the ones being hurt Mm -hmm. but man when they get screwed in a deal it's personal oh man totally it's just it's just obvious you're just you're just faking a world that you can be immoral in it's just stupid it's like liberals with the bedroom you know what i mean they're like stay out of the bedroom keep government out of the bedroom or whatever and the bedroom just becomes this place where they get to do freaky things you know (laughs) and like a catholic is fine being like yeah no that doesn't really work you can't just have like a magical world that's your bedroom that suddenly your acts are impersonal and unrelated to the cosmos. It's mm-hmm. like they are still. And we're pretty willing to say that by saying like, you know, no to contraception or something like that. Yeah. But then the moment it's money, we just bend over backwards and are like, but there is a bedroom in the sky called <laughs> business. <laughs> and there you may go to do what deeds, <laughs> what foul deeds you will. <laughs> For if we say otherwise, they will no longer donate to our apostolate. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. It's very sad. We laugh to stop from crying. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. <laughs> Keep laughing. <laughs> All right, let's 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 start crushing these because uh, right, you have a college tour soon. Yeah, exactly. All right. This is the only thing, like, we've made so many people uncomfortable with, you know, the, the gender thing, the tyranny thing, the money thing. But at least everybody likes the fact that we're making workmen. Oh, yeah. That's it's th- nice. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting that we... Yeah, I just hope we really do like that, you know? I hope we don't just think of it in terms of jobs. Because jobs are yeah. are 
alienated work. Right? A job is what you call work when you don't care about what it is. You just care about its wage. So you say, I like the job, by which you mean, I like that it gives me money. Right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the same as saying, I like the work. Yeah, I think it's more like, uh, you know, the, the, our um, intellectual rivals who... Will we, will, never, we will crush. Who, <laughs> who are actively crushing. <laughs> who will never swing a hammer. Uh, but they still like it. It's nice that we have some sort oh, of common yeah, yeah, ground. Yeah. That's good. It is good. I'm trying to be personal here. You're being not <laughs> business, but person. <laughs> All right, let's, let's cruise through these. Right. A penny saved is a penny earned. Yeah. All right. Well, you've done the work to find the discount. And thus, that 50 cents that you've saved is equivalent to your time. <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's just a game. Yeah, this is this rides on the time is money thing. Yeah. Uh, it rides on. Uh, it's also, you know, just anti-Catholic in the extreme, you know, because it is, it's an interesting phrase, right? It's common to society, but it's obviously not true, right? A penny saved is not a penny earned. Those are different words. Uh, but what it's trying to do is it, it obviously is trying to boost up the penny saved, right? Because that's the thing that has to be compared to something else in order to oh, be valuable. Yeah. So there's something very beautiful about here. It's like, well, where do we find real value in money is in the earning of money. But mm. The earning of money is always the way in which money represents our labor, right? So that is where our hearts really thrill with money. It's like, yeah, I earned that baby. And what the libs are trying to do with this popularization of this phrase, which was, as we know, Masonically inspired. I mean, the, the Masons put this phrase out there in their handbooks and it's since proliferated through the culture was to say that money you save is just like that money you earned. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is not true. <laughs> You're just getting rid of the labor part and, and somehow saying that just having the money itself is like a value. Um, and I think that saving is just horrendous. Stop saving. Yeah. Stop being a Mason. Totally. You know, you, I mean, people should know that there have been multiple church documents out there condemning Freemasonry. Like, this is, this is like a thing that the church has condemned along with. You're taking all my heresies. bit too far. I didn't really think the Masons made the phrase. They absolutely made this okay. phrase. <laughs> <Got> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up, everybody. The Masons absolutely made this phrase. You don't want to be a Freemason. Right. And ergo stops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, look, a dollar is is uh is for doing something good. It is not yeah. for just keeping it in potency. Right. It is for actualizing something good, wonderful, and real. Yeah. Namely the kingdom of God. Yes. If you're going to be saving, it should be saving for that end. Totally. It cannot be something that is pie in the sky amassment without a real good in mind. And that good right soon. I mean, it's not you should be spending on goods that you can really attain within reasonable amounts of time because that bus is coming for you. Yep. And it's going to hit you and you're going to be splatter. Yep. That's what we're going to call you, Dr. Splatter. Because yeah. <laughs> you're all over, you know? <laughs> and then we're just going to toss the money in the grave with you. It'll be right next to you and you can't spend it. Exactly. So yeah. if you are going to save, if you're going to risk saving, if mm-hmm. you're going to have the audacity to not take that money and immediately put it to a use where it can make the kingdom of heaven, then make it quick. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, don't risk it. Don't risk this like, well, I'm going to laboriously scrape together $100,000 at which point after my long 30 year scraping, I'm going to do some good. Don't do that. That is a bad idea. I mean, terrible. if you've got 100000 coming quick, okay, sure, save and get rid of it. But if you're like, 
don't don't create the habit of saving for some long term do good do do goodery. You know, yep. do the good you can really attain within the bonds of your vocation with a realistic timeline. Um, yeah. on the basis of your of what you've got coming in. Yep, simple. Yeah, I'd say you know the gospels are just kind of the anecdote to uh, antidote to to this. I mean, this is the recurring line from Christ saying, "Do not fear." Yeah, is the line against mammon. Yeah, and the control that you have with it, the security that you feel from it. It is a line that enables you to actually be a Christian with your money. Now, there's also, of course, the parable of the rich fool who saves, tears down his storehouses, build up bigger ones, and and that guy gets thrown in hell. You know, that's that's not a good ending to the story for that retirement guy. Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. and and we we just have to take Jesus really seriously. Did here. we make the joke about the fire thing being the fires of hell? Because we should have the. Financial independence, retire early. Oh yeah, <laughs> should have. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't remember where we're going now. But you know, this is, um, you know, I think, you know, this is maybe straying too much into pastoral advice rather than just here's what the gospel say, which is usually what we're doing. You know, here's what the tradition says. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've found at least um, having having had some money. And not really being sure what I wanted to do with it, I just needed to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, at one point it was just you need you almost need to swing the pendulum further the other direction. Mm, yeah, yeah. So that you can get a rebalance in your mind because you've been so far slanted on the other on the saving side on the, the saving side. Yeah. Um, that you don't even know what what a medium median could be. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's just a really yeah, and just realize like all of society for people that have money, all of society is designed to keep you free from seeing needs. I mean, we literally have yeah. laws forbidding people from begging in your neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. We, we design parks so that the homeless can't sleep there. We have yeah. like gated communities. You know, as far as housing prices go, that's where you are likely to end up. Yeah, like as a wealthy person in America, your amassment once you start spending it on yourself also conditions you to a life where you're not going to see those needs. So just simply having money and kind of looking around for a need, maybe it'll come. It's like, well, maybe it will. Sure. But you kind of live in a world which is designed to at best provide you with an opportunity for a, a, you know, tax write off donation (laughs) to a nonprofit through your social media accounts, but you're not going to like run into needs that, or at least the world is designed to make you not run into needs. So, so yeah, I, I I agree. Get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I I gotta go to the give this tour thing. Is it is it time? Yeah, Josiah just came. Just in. leave. Like, I'll just Fly. keep. I'll just keep. Okay. Going. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'll I'll play both parts. <laughs> Actually, that'd be more entertaining for people. Let's do it. Let's go do ahead. the last last ones. Let me let me check what time it is. I I got five minutes. Let's do All this. All right, come on. Takes. Uh, pay yourself first. What does that mean? <laughs> I haven't heard that. Uh, I I don't remember anymore. Pay yourself first is is a line that people say of um, put yourself in a stressful situation, you know, so that uh, you um, like pay yourself first and not your bills of what it's owed, so that you work harder and you have a, like a motivation to work harder, make more money, be more in oh like I did not think that. Yeah, I've heard it in that context. I think there's another one. I can't remember. Produce scarcity. Pressure, high pressure okay. Yeah, you don't do well with these. <laughs> <laughs> a fool and his money are soon parted. That's just true. That's the Bible. Yeah, it's but there. also like that fool could be really good. 
Right. Uh, I mean, we call fall. that person a holy fool. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, and St. Thomas says that uh, the, the person who really gives everything away could either be the prodigal son or the holy monk, mm-hmm. you know? And so just cho- choose which, be the good fool in that situation. Don't be the bad fool. Early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Uh, that's just like false. a false, cause false. causation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it does. I think what I like about this is that I like to go early to bed and early to rise. I don't get wealthy or healthy, maybe wiser because I get to read some books early in the morning before the kids wake up. But uh, what it does show is that wealth, properly speaking, is a reflection on an interior disposition, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's the skills through that are earned through labor or, or developed through labor. Um and also just commitments. It's like right now we have this idea that we can make money. Well, it's funny. It's a funny old world, right? Because we have this idea that we can make money by doing financial techniques, which will save us from labor. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, like the financial scheme is the perfection of the automated labor uh, uh, sort of vision because it's like if the ideal manufacturer is one that replaces human labor, then the ideal product of an age of manufacturing is in fact the like day trader who's doing ostensibly no labor and making money for it. He's fulfilled the machine. He is the machine. But what you actually find with these guys is that they are staying up really late doing trades. You yeah, know? And, and they have this hustle and grind mentality that's almost excessive because you see this, they're like, I work so hard. I'm up all the time. I'm doing these trades, man. Like the whole Wall Street mentality. I got to do like cocaine just to get it done, you know? <laughs> so they're actually toiling more for not working yeah. than the guy who's like just clocking in and working. And, and but, but it's because they're so ridden with guilt over not working that they have to make their non-work into this insanity of like, I don't eat, I don't sleep, I just do drugs. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's Chesterton's whole thing is like the man puts on a big suit and then goes to an office in downtown pretending to work all day. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's exhausting. And yeah. if you've ever been even in a, in a less extravagant situation where you're just working a stupid job, yep. that will exhaust you way more than work. Yep. I mean, if you're doing nothing, like if you have like a nine to five and there's like two hours of productivity and everything else is just you stretching the clock, you're exhausted, you're mm-hmm. miserable, you, f- you hate yourself after the end of the day. And uh, yeah, why are we talking about this? Oh, so the interior disposition should be signified by, yep. by, uh, by All right, wealth. next. <laughs> Best things in life are free. That's true. Totally true. Next. God loves you. You can't take it with you. That's true too. St. Jerome tells that great story about um, uh, a guy who dies and he's he's left behind 200 pieces of sh- silver forgetting that Christ was betrayed for just 30, you know? And, uh, and, and he says that all these saints were sitting around trying to figure out what to do with the money because it's substantial, it's a lot of money. And uh, the, he says, guided by the Holy Spirit, they decided to throw the money in the grave with him. Yeah. Reminding and demonstrating, teaching everyone yeah. that you can't take it with you. Just uh, heads up to pastors of churches. That is an alternative option for what to do with those endowments. Yep. In the, yeah. gra- in the grave with the dead, please. Uh, and it's also a great play. You can't take it with you. Oh, I recommend that. There's a brief part of American sort of nostalgia, which just said Catholic things about money because they were in rebellion against a... Uh, all right, one minute. Okay. Come on. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> um, frugality includes all the other virtues, says Cicero. 
Uh, no, love does. Love does. That's yeah, good. Thomas corrected him. Show me the money, says people. Uh, that's the equivalent of um, money talks. Yes. Um, money is like manure. You have to spread it around or it smells. Uh, that's just totally right. Yeah, I yeah. Think that's true. Yeah. It, it's supposed to be for use. If you're not using it, it stinks and so do you. Mm-hmm. Uh, time is money, we said. You have this long Steve Martin quote, which I'm not going <laughs> to... All right, I'll read it. I love money. I love everything about it. I bought some pretty good stuff. Got me a $300 pair of socks. Got a first sink, an electric dog polisher, a gasoline-powered turtleneck sweater, and of course, I bought some dumb stuff too. <laughs> um, Those are just ideas of what you can do with your money. Yes. You know, to spread it yes, around. You now you leave. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. I'm All right. All right. So um, now that Jacob's gone, we can say <laughs> what we've always wanted to say, which is that it's all about the money, baby. This is my favorite quote. It's all about the money, kids. It's all about the money, uh, says that big guy in the movie. Um, it's the movie. What's the movie? What's the movie with the guy? Uh, oh, brother, where art thou? He says, and that's great because he's a Bible salesman. And then he says, it's all about the money and, and smacks um, George Clooney on the head. And that is what modern capitalists do. They pretend to sell Bibles. Then they hit you on the head with a bat. And say it's all about the money. <laughs> um, but there's an interesting thought here, right? Because it's all about the money pairs well with another phrase. It's not about the money, right? And this is what people say all the time. And I think, you know what I think? I'll tell you what I think. Jacob, is it okay if I tell them what I think? I think that when people say it's not about the money, they're usually saying it is about the money. It's a way that they um, justify making something entirely about money by giving money capacities that it doesn't truly have. In fact, it's more idolatrous in some ways than just saying it's all about the money is to say it's not about the money. So what I mean is someone says, it's not about the money. It's just about making sure everybody's honest, right? Which means effectively money will make us all honest. Or it's not about the money. I just want you to know that you're valued, which means in effect that the only way that we really know that we have value in this world is through the use of money. It's not about the money. It's about, all right, I'm running out of steam here. (laughs) Sending a message, says the Joker, says the Joker. And, um, And in a way he's right and in a way the Joker's wrong because he sends a message precisely because of the recognized totalitarian uh, value of money when he burns it it only creates the effect it does in the eyes of that mob boss as he watches the money burn because that love of money is there right and so we have these we have this difficulty of even in our desire to pretend that we're not creating an alternative world in which money is the god um, we still end up doing homage to that their god well what else is there to say what else is there to say. I think we did it all, folks. We did it all. Um, uh, what do you want? You want some money? Call New Polity. Our number is one 800 